Welcome to It Came From The Deep, a narrative podcast series based on the novel by best-selling author Maria Lewis. That's me. And I'm Blake Howard, head of One Hit Minute Productions and the guy behind shows such as One Hit Minute, Increment Vice, All The President's Minutes and more. Speaking of more, that includes Josie and the Podcats, which is a six-part limited podcast series about the 2001 cult film Josie and the Pussycats, which we worked on together. But we're not here to talk about that today. Today, we're here to explain what the hell this series is. What is it? Oh, my God. So many questions. So few answers. (laughs) (laughs) And we're exactly the people who have not got the answers for you to talk to you. No. No, look, essentially It Came From The Deep is a narrative podcast series that is going to be dropping here on One Heat Minute Productions. Uh, But with the structure of what we're doing is we're releasing a chapter of the book in audio format each week. And then in between that, we'll be releasing uh, essentially what's like a bonus episode where Blake and I will be talking about not just the plot stuff from the book, but some of the real life inspirations, speaking to some of the real life experts who were, you know, um, providing me with information about how to try and make a merman seem believable and all sorts of wacky shit. And um, just kind of like, a DVD behind the scenes special features. I think that's essential. I mean, that's what I'm aiming for with the bonus episodes. Blake, you might have totally different intentions and now's the time to tell me before I yeet myself out of the room. (laughs) I no, I I think, I think you've, we've created, we've been exploring a bunch of different formats on one eight minute productions for the the past time. So we kicked off one eight minute, which is, you know, like a, uh, what is now like a burgeoning genre in and of itself of like minute by minute podcasts. We've done our own with um, all the president's minutes, but you know, you look at increment vice and that was like a scene by scene movie because it's a different tone and it didn't require as much of a deep dive. That's not saying that the show isn't deep. It's just saying it didn't require the sort of minute by minute analysis. And then with Josie, uh, Maria's sort of, journalistic skill helped us craft that into sort of an audio documentary series. And this just seems like another lens on what we're doing. So you're going to see little, you know, a little teaser series, three hands with Gregor Jordan is kind of like a midi mini half scripted, half history, half interview series. So it feels like it's, we're just exploring different things. And I, I, you know, unabashedly love my best friend's writing, but I actually love this, dopey little merman novel probably more than any of her other stuff because it just has this weirdly we haven't put dopey little merman novel on the cover as a pull quote (laughs) but it's it's, you know it could be dismissed as just something like a you know a, a piece of genre fair but one thing that i know about her life growing up on the gold coast and someone who you know one of our big common threads in our past is that we grew up as part of surf life saving culture in different parts of the country and you know, this novel nails it. So I was super excited just in general that it was going to be released as an audio book and we knew that it was going to be produced. But then I was also super excited about the prospect of like deep diving it because so many other great shows have done it in a, in a vacuum. And this is kind of like that weird thing. Like when you hear about the Scrubs guys doing the Scrubs show and you're like, <laughs> oh, I mean, if, if Robert De Niro and, and Al Pacino decided to do the Heat podcast follow-up, I'd be like, fuck this, you know, because it's just well, like... like the Talking Dead for The Walking Dead, you know, like this is... It's really weird. There's not really like a, I mean, one of the reasons I'm so excited about this is there's not really a show like this that exists, right? Right. So there are plenty of narrative podcast series out there. There are obviously plenty of audio books out there. Neither of those two elements are necessarily breaking the wheel, but 
us releasing It Came From The Deep as an episode-by-episode podcast where you get a chapter of the book read to you by, like, the incredible Sophie Parr, you know, who's an actress. She's paid to do this shit. She's someone who can actually read stuff without fucking it up, a la me. Um, (laughs) But the fact that after each episode you get a chance to sort of, like, dive into the process of putting the book together but also the inspirations of it and for it, there isn't necessarily something out there like that, which made me really excited when we were sort of first sort of spitballing this idea. And I mean, the other thing is like, first and foremost, it came from the deep Um, in case you don't know. And you stumbled across this podcast by, I don't know, fell down the deep dark hole of being (laughs) like, I love boys with thick necks and no dads and hate. And then you suddenly ended up here or you're a Josie and the pussycat stand. And this is where you ended up. Um, it came from the deep is my third novel. It was, um, originally self-published as an ebook and then released as a physical book. And the, the very short log line is essentially, um, it's about a murder, a mystery and a merman. And as you heard from the trailer, there's a lot more elements going on to it than that. But I had been working on the idea of an audiobook for a while with the amazing Adam boys who I met through the, you know, pop culture convention touring circuit. He kind of knows everybody. He's like the Nick Fury, I guess, of pop culture conventions. Like every motherfucker <laughs> knows him. And um, and it was Adam's idea to sort of do this. And audiobooks are a tricky thing. Uh, I get a lot of questions from people about why my other novels are in audiobook format. And the answer to that question is always like it's out of my control because when you sell a book to a publisher – nine times out of 10, you don't get to keep the audiobook rights. You don't get to retain those. And so they're with my current publisher and they are in an ongoing issue with issue. I don't want to say feud. It's like an ongoing, um, negotiation back and forth with audible about specifics. (laughs) Not about my book specifically about all of their titles. They're in an ongoing negotiation with audible about, getting more percentage of the back end profits for audiobooks. So in the meantime, every title that falls under their umbrella is frozen and no audiobooks are allowed to get made. So that sucks. But at the same time, um, thankfully I had the audiobook rights that came from the deep. So it meant that there was an opportunity to make this as, you know, accessible as possible. But then of course, 2020 being the dumpster fire of a year that it is, was thinking about, you know, putting it out there and you do end up making like quite good, uh, profits, I guess, on the back end of audio books. Like it can be a little money maker, but I don't really need the money. Like you don't really need the money. We sort of wanted to put something out there that would be as easily accessible for as many people as possible. And the way you do that is by making it free, but adding that extra little bit of bonus content that, you know, special features, if you will. So in between each chapter, that you get of the book read by an incredibly professional and amazingly talented actress and produced by professionals. You get us two barely professionals talking shit in between (laughs) and, um, and breaking down some of the, like the nuts and bolts of, of the novel and the setting and the story elements to it. Yeah. Um, when, you know, again, a bit of the behind the scenes is, you know, we had talked about, the fact that it was being recorded and we we're both excited that one of your books is finally going to be an audio book and particularly this one because it's super digestible and it's like a real, it's a real unput downable like little um, day read of a kind of a book. And I th- always thought that an audio book would be a ripper uh, for it, but it's actually kind of amazing that, you know, 
if you're in the position to sort of give anything back in this garbage fire of a year, um, um, you know, particularly, truly, it's, truly. It's like, it's, it's, you know, I think if anyone's heard any of our recent one hit minute production stuff, you know, you do your due diligence of like, if anyone can absolutely afford to help us with what we're doing, then, you know, you can donate and you can use Patreon and you can use our donation systems as part of, you know, our, our, our podcast um, subscription. But it's like, Otherwise, I just go, and if you can't afford it, just share. Like, just like it, just experience it. Mm. Just, I hope you enjoy the episodes. You know, thank you for being part of our journey because, like, honestly, that is literally everything that you can expect. But that's, but that's awesome. So, like, you know, this one. So I know I know a little bit about the backstory, um, but you know, I know a lot of that backstory. But tell me how this became the third. Thing because in my mind and maybe for folks who know your work, the kind of who's afraid and then who's afraid too and the in the sort of potential who's afraid trilogy was always the thing that I guess you know and 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 I think I've heard you talk about it before as well of like the pigeonhole thing like you're going to finish this thing because this is your brand mm. you know you're going to do mm. it but tell us a little bit about like how you were you know distracted slash you know. Uh, uh, digressed to, to, it came from the deep away from, you know, your sort of like your, your werewolf origins. Like how did it actually happen? Well, um, first of all, love the question. Uh, thank you for asking it. <laughs> but basically, I mean, it's on brand in terms of who's afraid because oh, who's afraid so is doing a riff. Yeah. Like doing a riff on a well-known monster. Right. And in the case of who's afraid, that was doing a feminist take on the stereotypically like, I'm a man and I'm cursed, all these emotions. And it's like, hey, uh, well, just a quick cue, uh, women have a lot of rage, uh, have a lot of built-up rage and feminine grotesque ideas to examine. Anyway, uh, so this, It Came From The Deep, was basically trying to do a remix on The Mermaid Tale. Like I guess I would describe this as a cross, a cross between – the little mermaid and creature from the black lagoon, right? Because it has those romantic elements to it, but it also has a very like sci-fi monster element as well. And I always thought there was an exciting possibility to try and do a merman story seriously. And I had sort of flirted with that idea a little bit. I worked um, with uh, this tattooist uh, based in Berlin for this international horror comic. He'd asked, he was an Ill- illustrating a comic for it, like submitting it to this anthology. And he'd asked me to write a short story for it, uh, which I did like a, a comic book script basically. And so I wrote that he illustrated it and it was about, um, a mermaid. I can't remember. This is like seriously going back such a while ago. This is like 2009, 2010. So, you know, a good solid decade ago. I can't remember if it was a, a mermaid or a merman, but it was essentially about a creature that lures children to their deaths. So, you know, super fun, light, tight and bright. And super it fun. was, yeah, super fun. And it was sort of like the genesis of that idea, or at least like me tinkering with the parts. I don't think it worked necessarily. Like it was definitely elevated by his illustrative work. Jack Scallywag, if you ever want to look him up, J-A-K and then Scallywag, as you do, regular spelling. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, to Mr. and Mrs. Scally, a son, Wag. Um, and so that's where the idea had come from. And it was something that 
I, I mean, we'll get into this in later episodes about, you know, our self-life saving stuff and training, but I would always, I fucking hated training so much and I hated swimming and paddling and just those long times out at sea or in a pool. So I would always imagine stories as a way to entertain myself. And when you're in the water and you're like looking at the depths, it's very easy to entertain and imagine different scenarios down there. So the story had been sort of like gestating for a while, but I had this sort of opportunity to do like a sneaky backdoor pilot, if you will, because who's afraid the first two books. So, so I write a series called the supernatural sisters, right? And under that umbrella, it starts with who's afraid, who's afraid to, it came from the deep, the witch who caught a death, the wailing woman, the Rose daughter. <laughs> I just had to think, Oh, who's still afraid in there too. And then there'll be another one after that. I literally had to think, I was like, fuck was the order of them. I need a graph. <laughs> um, and it came from the deep was the third book, but the first one that didn't have Tommy Grayson as the main character. And it was an opportunity to do like a sneaky backdoor pilot. Like, you know, how you always hear that term in television world or like, I've been hired to write a few sneaky backdoor pilots for TV series that have never gone anywhere. But, you know, you get into the 18th season of Arrow and it's like episode 17 and they're like, we might give like the birds of prey slash canaries an episode (laughs) that's just dedicated to them. And if people don't fucking hate it, then that's our backdoor pilot into the show, right? Yes. And so that's what it came from the deep was. It was sort of a sneaky backdoor pilot to try and expand the world and introduce other characters and other type of monsters that are referred to and spoken about at length in Who's Afraid and Who's Afraid 2, but It Came From the Deep is quite self-contained in terms of like you don't have to have read any of my other books to have jumped in and read that book. And, in fact, most of my books now is are the same way. The idea is they can be a, a great entry point, but if you have read some of my previous novels, you get like sneaky little Easter eggs. I don't want to exclude anyone, but I also want to reward people who have been there from the beginning. There's things in Who's Afraid like little links and winks and things like that, that pop up and it came from the deep that if you were really paying attention, you would pick up and be like, oh, okay, this is all in the same world. But because it's in a completely different part of the globe, you don't necessarily know that straight away. So blah, 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 blah. That's all the background. Comes up to <laughs> October. I mean, yada, 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 some, some, some. Here we go. <laughs> it's October. I want to say 2012. It might've been October, 2013. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing called National Novel Writing Month. Natno Ritmo, as the kids say. It's a really great initiative that runs all over the world. And it's National Novel Writing Month, basically. And the idea is that people um, who might need that extra push or that extra little motivation or want to be part of a kind of community as everybody tries to write their books together your aim is to try and write 50,000 words in a month. Now, 50,000 words is not a novel length, but the, the idea is like if you get 50,000 words down, you'll finish the book essentially. And so I started It Came From The Deep as part of National Novel. So I started It Came From The Deep as part of Nat No Ritmo. And I think from memory that first draft um, throughout the month of October was like, maybe 72, 73,000 words. Uh, and I think the final version you ha- you that we ended up. You can fucking write, mate. Uh, I mean, not only can you actually write good, but like you can, you can, you can. <laughs> oh, you write good, mate. You, you write good. You can write good in that. But no, you just, your, your ability to 
actually get words down on a page from your time as a like as a daily journalist and a cadet journalist and like someone who has to grind out stories in an entertainment journal. The both churn, online. baby. The churn. You can churn, baby. Oh my goodness, can you churn? I can oh, churn, shit. baby. Churn. Oh, Disco gosh. Inferno. It's like probably <laughs> one of my like few like genuine strengths as a writer is because I started in a newsroom as a teenager and you know you have to publish multiple stories a day otherwise you lose your job you get shit thrown at you it's like pretty abusive environment to be honest but that's just like how you started back then um it means that I can get words down quickly but it's also my only skill so oftentimes people be like (laughs) oh man that's a crazy word count you can generate in a day and it's like yes but I literally can't do anything else like you know I can't all every shelf I build has a lean on it you know what I'm saying like I don't have any other practical skills (laughs) I'd be dead when the zombie apocalypse comes so I wrote it came from the deep the first draft was part of national novel writing month um in that October month of 2012 2013 I can't remember polished it off and um, it was originally edited by the wonderful Abigail Nathan who is an incredible editor. I've worked with her on Who's Afraid. I worked with her on Who's Still Afraid. She's been someone that I've worked with a lot um, on different novels within this series and she was able to really help shape it. You know, all the same elements were there but just a fresh set of eyes is invaluable as you know every time like you've proved something for me or vice versa it's just like you can't see the wood for the trees anymore you know so by that point by the time it gets to um I want to say maybe February 2014 I got picked up by a literary agent um and they were representing all of my novels who's afraid and who's afraid to sold to little brown in October of 2014 and it came from the deep had been shopped around to a lot of people and there are a lot of places that really liked it but the thing that I kept getting told was that mer stories don't sell mm. anything that had a mer anything in it mer man mer woman mer whatever mer you know however you identify they were not selling and mer season was off right uh Harper Collins for instance were people who had it for like four or five years. They had it for a really long time. And and, and then in 2017, Guillermo del Toro says, come hold my mer beer and just... Well, <laughs> it's funny you say that because <laughs> as I kept getting told mer stuff didn't sell um, because you and I, we work, you know, sort of tangential with the film industry. We know things that are coming down the pipe. We know things that are in development. Um, I was actually like working on at the time what was then an unproduced TV series for HBO that was about mer creatures and HBO ended up passing on it because there was another one in development with a competitor. And so I knew there was all this stuff in the pipeline, Aquaman as well, like they had just cast Jason Momoa and so we knew we were getting a solo Aquaman movie. And so I think I was just sick of being told that I was, I was sick of being told what the audience wanted by people who seemed so incredibly detached from the audience. <laughs> yes. And you can see a trend coming a mile off. So it is this thing in publishing for people who don't know, there are these invisible fucking seasons that don't mean anything. And so you have vampire season, right? So for the most recent vampire season was like true blood, mm. twilight, that era, you know, let me in, let the right one in, all that stuff from like the noughts, if you will. Now, this is all bullshit. Keep in mind, vampires are always in season. If you write a good enough book or a good enough vampire story, it will break through. Vampire season was ironically supposed to be dead when Buffy came along, when, you know, 
interview with a vampire came along. You know, there's so many examples, Laurel K. Hamilton's vampire series. Like there are just so many examples of different creatures, fairies, you know, you name it. People are really out on zombies right now. They're saying zombie season, like nobody wants a zombie book, but vampires are starting to cycle back in again. People are saying they want witches. People say they want werewolves. But, it's all but there was a whole, there so, was a whole, there was a whole, there's a whole time though, you know, and it's so funny. It's just, it's just people not having any hindsight, like any historical hindsight about just, almost anything it's like oh you know zombies are never popular and you're like are you insane like do you have you heard of a little guy <laughs> called george romero like the you know like a, he over you know reinvented the genre with you know these socio-political metaphors as zombie movies and it's like the the walking dead well, he basically birthed a genre because yeah. there was like the brain eating idea was something that just didn't exist in a pop cultural conscious sense like it just it wasn't there and his movies popularized it but like the walking dead right every time oh they God. think it's oh there can't be another it's take a license to print money that that whole right. series but like 28 Days later, 28 weeks later, warm bodies, like the girl with all the gifts. There was just train to Basan. Like there are so many mm. examples. So anyway, long story short, I was sick of people being like, Merv shit doesn't sell. And I'm like, I'm going to show you. And I had built up enough experience in the industry by that point that I put, it came from the deep out as an ebook first. I sort of wanted to test the waters. People were telling me, ironically, uh, people were telling me that they wanted it, but I was like, let's see. And the ebook did really well. And I was like, fuck it, let's put it out as a physical book. And so I did with, um, when I did national novel writing month, I always like to have like quite polished covers because <laughs> I would always look at other people's novels on there and be like, Oh, I really want to like, there'd be really great covers. And you'd be like, wow, that's so professional. And then there'd be other ones that it's like a story written in comic sans. <laughs> and, and I'd be and, like, and, and, the, and then there's one that looks like <laughs> the note from snowman where it's just like, yes, I gave yes, you all the clues, I gave you all the clues Mr. I, Police, I gave you all the clues, which is, truly what most of my covers ended up looking like <laughs> until I got help. And so Rhiannon Fulp, who's a really incredible graphic designer and mate of mine, um, I had asked her for help back in like 2012, 2013 to come up with like a mock. It came from the deep cover, which I wanted it to be based on the types of illustrations of Gustav Dorr, who was this illustrator is famous for doing like a lot of biblical shit. Like he would always do like biblical settings and it would be his illustrations attached to certain reprintings of the Bible. And they were always super fucked and like very intricate and detailed, but also terrifying. But they also, he did a lot of like sea maps and stuff as well. And so that's the vibe I was going for. I wanted to have something that could totally fit with the color palette of who's afraid and who's afraid too. But I wanted the cover to sort of look like one of those C maps and you know, the harder you look, the little, the more specific like details on the cover, you can see that actually tie into specific elements of the story. And what's really dope about that is when they did the cover for the wailing woman, which was my fourth book, fifth book, uh, fifth book. Yeah. Shit. Sorry. <laughs> when they did the cover for the wailing woman, um, that cover was inspired by the cover for it came from the deep which is rad to me because that was like, that was Rhiannon executing my very like broad brief that didn't really make sense. <laughs> um, and also the first time I really got to have control over how a book of mine looked because as a debut author, as actually as any author, you get suggestions, you get given maybe like four or five options and it's like choose the least worst usually. Sometimes you get really lucky. Sometimes you get a cover like The Wailing Woman, which Amazing. is truly one of the most my beautiful covers cover I've ever seen. 
same. It's absolutely stunning. It's not to suck my own dick. Like I didn't do that cover. That was like Sam Sefton in the UK, who's an incredible illustrator and very intricate as well, intricate types of drawings. And, um, and yeah, and that's basically like the genesis of it. And when I put it out as a physical ebook, self-published, um, it is just like the little book that could, I think, you know, ended up getting stocked in bookshops, places like Stefan's bookshop, I believe, which is in Perth. It's a genre specific bookshop. It's pretty amazing. He does an incredible job of featuring so many Australian writers and New Zealand writers that just don't get the love from the industry that they necessarily deserve. Um, and that was the first bookshop that ever stocked it physically. Otherwise it was just, you know, people buy it from Amazon or they would buy it from me at cons or whatever, or buy it online. And he built like this incredible little display for it that was so beautiful. And then from there it started popping up in other bookshops as well. And it's been just like, yeah, like a, a real grower, not a shower, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> Like it has listen, just kept chugging listen, along. It always and gets a little bit cold in the ocean, but when it warms up, <laughs> it's ready to go. Well, it made the Amazon bestsellers list for young adult novels. Um, this would have been, I want to say it was 2019. Mm. Uh, I have like, I kept the little screenshot of it because I was just like, what the fuck? Like nobody tells you that <laughs> stuff. Things will just enter the Amazon charts and you just have no idea. And it will happen at weird times. Like there might be a promotion or something. Like The Witcher Court of Death, for instance, was like, I think number two in the UK Amazon bestseller charts because there had been like a, a, a cross, not, okay, it's a great book, whatever, that's why, but also because <laughs> there had been a big push for queer content and that book is about, you know, a gay witch and a bisexual medium. So it like ended up getting pushed through this cross promotion and you're like, wow, that's nuts. It's like a bestseller in the UK, that's wild. But with it came from the deep, I can't afford to, you know, do a cross promotion or I don't have those little <laughs> little brown dollars. It just had entered the charts through people chugging along. And it was at number three behind two books from Patrick Ness, who's like a big fucking deal. Yes. So it was like a really huge thing for me. And it is kind of the fan favorite maybe. Like, or it's maybe not fan favorite. It's not the right word. The sneaky favorite. I know it's your favorite of my books, but. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's wh- wailing's, just the one that people bring up. Wailing's um, Wailing's my favorite of your probably you know Ed. It's just your growth as a writer. It just felt like the most effortless book that you you've written so far for me. So I really really love that. Um, uh, That's so nice to say because they take so much effort. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I, I know how much you want I, it to feel effortless. I know, I know, like that's a compliment. I know, I, I know how much work you put into it, but I just mean as far as like how effortlessly it flows and how entertaining it was. I really love Wailing, but where it came from, the deep snuck up on me, and I think this is what you've kind of nailed in your in the series as it's grown and you've kind of grown into your voice is the the specificity of like the real world experience that is then contained within all your whole like supernatural world is that's actually like a great entry point is because you relate to these characters and these people. And then when they get dragged into the, your supernatural world, it's, it's how relatable that they still are in that situation that actually makes them really entertaining. So this one was like, it snuck up on me because it was like, it was zero effort. And also like in, in the most weird way, it's like, if you've had an affinity for that kind of coastal surf life-saving experience. Like it was just like, you were speaking my language. I was, I was seeing people, you know, I I was a kid who like for, you know, at least three or four years of high school because of surf life-saving stuff was getting up at 5am going and swimming before 
before school every day, you know, doing those stupid drills, um, you know, doing those stupid surf drills and, and just knowing exactly like the language was there. And I was just like, I was on those stupid boards. I was out there in the cold. I could feel all those textures. And then it's like, exactly as you said, you start, you know, uh, you know, triggering bits of imagination and, and that, uh, that's, you know, when we talked about this whole project, that's what I got excited about because for me, that's, it was just like, it grabbed me straight away with the real world stuff. Um, and, and also I think it accessed a little bit of your crime, you know, your, your affinity and experience with crime as well, because that's something that I feel like you've got a whole, you know, massive other well of, uh, knowledge and, and understanding that kind of like is now starting to come in and, and trickle into the later novels as well, but it's all there. So for me, it just like, you just like, it struck lightning. You had to write it fast and then it all just sort of came out. And, and I think, and it's just a real easy read as well. Like that's not, that's, I hope that's not an insult to an author. God, I don't know what it is. But it's, like, it's like an easy read. It's just like bang. You just pick it up. You can't put it down. Like um, one of my very good friends, Jordan Harper, his award-winning book, She Rides Shotgun is like that too. Like you literally pick the book up and you know, it, Unput I was there the day you started that book and there the day you finished it. <laughs> it was the same day. <laughs> I was like, day. my God, you really smashed that. <laughs> it was the same day. It was like, uh, and that wasn't the first time I'd, re- that wasn't the first time I'd read it actually. It was just like, I just picked it up again. Like I was like, mm. you know, it was, it's, it's a good experience. And you're like, shit, I haven't read that in a while. And you know, it's just one of those things. So yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm, I, it's awesome to hear that. It's like, it's the thing that people didn't trust. And it's like, Hey, this was, this topic is like literally the topic of the best picture winner of like <laughs> four years later. And you're right. Well, ahead it, of that. it hit just at the perfect time as well. So, you know, it came from the deep, came out before Shape of Water, before Aquaman, before shows like Siren and Tidelands. And I got lucky with the timing, but it was also like, I knew it was I coming threw down away your, I just want to let you know, I, uh, you know, just uh, some spring cleaning and some spilling no. tea. I threw away your no, Tidelands you... chair. Oh, fuck. Because, because. I was so stoked <laughs> with that. It was like the first piece of merch I got from a <laughs> I, show that, I was, clean, you know, I was cleaning out the shed. I was on. cleaning out the shed. I found it. I said, it's time. It's got it. It's time to go. Tidelands okay. merch chair. <laughs> So for those who don't know, when Tidelands, the (laughs) first Australian original series for Netflix came out, um, the production company Hoodlum are the people who made that show. They're also the people who are developing my first novel, Who's Afraid for Television. So I was at the the world premiere of that and um, (laughs) they had all these like chairs, like it was an outdoor premiere. It was really cool. It was just at, at the Botanical Gardens, just above the Opera House. Amazing setting, wonderful yada, yada, lovely, glowy feelings. How cool to see this thing manifest. And, um, we were going to like a cast and crew after party at the end of it. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I should like, do I do it? Like, is that tacky? Like as, as like quote unquote talent to like scoop up all the free merch and rock up to the after party. I was like, nah, you know what? This is dope. They have chairs with tired lens on it. Take it. It's worth it. I'll just take one though. It won't be crazy. And so I took one and then I get to the after party and it's like, everybody there, like Mrs. Hemsworth, (laughs) like everyone there has got like 10 chairs under each arm. Like everybody had taken those chairs. And so they were just like a beach chair that, um, I had left at Blake's house. It was a, it was a good chair, but, um, you know, may it rest in pieces. (laughs) Rip Tideland's chair. May, may Rip Tideland's chair. May he rest in peace. 
Oh, um, it won't be getting a second season. I think, like the actual show. <laughs> every, so. every, every everything everything is getting ripped off of Netflix. But look, so this is this is the show. This is the introduction to what is going to be an audiobook after show, um, which we're super yes. excited to bring. Yes. Oh, wow. I, I like. I know that's what we we're planning, but just when you said it, it sounded cool. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean. It came from the deeps, a special book for me. It's the book that I feel helped prove that this could be um, an expansive world that could introduce other characters. It's the first of my books that's written in third person rather than first person. It introduces other genre elements to it. And it's kind of like, it's the book that helped me push through the door to make this series bigger than it just being about Tommy Grayson and that specific one, which was always my ambition for it. But like a lot of stuff, you really have to, um, you got to prove sometimes that you can do a thing before people let you do a thing. It's like when I was a police reporter and I was trying to be a film writer and they were like, nah, bitch. And so I had to like have all these examples. Like I had to literally start a fake blog that, you know, that's how we became friends. But like I had to have all these examples of that. I could actually do this job and, you know, go cover Chronicles of Narnia myself and my free time and stuff like that before they'd let you do the thing. So I guess on that note, this is probably a good chance to wrap it up. This this episode's probably maybe a little bit longer than the other ones will be. Actually, I don't know that. Maybe we'll get long on all the others who could say. But we'll just to give you a bit of context for It Came From The Deep, where it came from, why we're doing this, and, um, yeah. How do you want to wrap it up after that bit? Bush sounds? <laughs> It Came From The Deep is the third novel from Maria Lewis and is available physically from all good bookstores and libraries as well as online. It's also part of her Aurealis award-winning Supernatural Sisters series, which includes Who's Afraid, Who's Afraid 2, Who's Still Afraid, The Witch Who Caught a Death, The Wailing Woman, The Rose Daughter, and more. This is a narrative podcast series and an after show with new chapters releasing every week and bonus episodes dropping in between with Maria and myself, Blake Howard, breaking down the plot, the inspirations, and writing process. It Came From The Deep is part of One Heat Minute Productions. So if you think aqua humanoids deserve rights too, please like, subscribe, and share with your mermaids.